Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Uh, because the story that we hear from, um, thanks, man. The story that we hear from the writer of Genesis, the story of Joseph and his and his families, or his family, is remarkable. Now we skipped a lot of stuff because last week the reading. Now, if you ever wonder what we're reading each week, just Google the lectionary, and that's that'll give it to you. But the lectionary last week had us just in in Genesis thirty-seven, and we hear this story of Joseph being dumped in a cistern. I think Heather read it for us last week, or maybe even two weeks ago. Actually, now I'm thinking about it just dumped in a cistern and just kind of left. Uh, and then they were going to kill him, and his one brother stepped in, stepped in Reuben and said, well, let's, let's not kill him. There's a, let's just put him in here and take his robe back and tell our father that he was killed. Knowing full well, if you leave somebody there just by themselves defenseless, they will likely be killed, but at least the blood is not on your hands. You kind of. Then they see a traveling band of people and say, well, hang on a second. Let's, let's, uh, let's think this through a little bit more. Let's sell him. And that way, he's not going to die. He's just going to be a slave. And his blood's not on our hands, and we can tell our father, and we get rid of this guy. Because for whatever reason, they didn't like him. Now, he wasn't taking anything from him. Uh, you know, they were going to have to split an inheritance 12 ways. Now they're splitting it 11. You're not, it's not a bigger slice. I mean, it's a little bit bigger slice of the pie. I don't know what much his dad had, but you're not talking about tons, right? But for some reason, they just didn't like this guy. Dad, the dad liked him a little more. He was the youngest. He got this cool code. He, all this kind of stuff happened. And he got sold into slavery. And then we get to this story. Now, there's a little bit preceding this story. There's a lot, actually. First, he's enslaved, and he works his way up. He's in prison, and he interprets a dream. And, and he tells the guy, hey, remember me when you get out of here. Because he was close to getting out. His parole was up. He was ready to get out. And he, was, and he said, remember me when you get out. He interpreted his dream. He interpreted two dreams, actually. Remember, there was two prisoners. One of them really liked the dream. One of them didn't. Both of them were accurate. Uh, so he had a 100% accuracy rate. He only had a 50% approval rate, though. And uh, this was kind of the situation he found himself in. And this cupbearer gets out, and he's so excited. I guess he just forgets about Joseph for two years until Pharaoh has a dream. He said, oh. Remember this guy, Joseph, back in prison. He's probably still there. He was there for a long time. Goes back and gets him. Joseph gets out. And he interprets Pharaoh's dream, and he begins to ascend the ranks all the way up till he is basically ruler over all of Egypt, minus like Pharaoh and one other. He was like a third in charge of all of Egypt. It was a big deal, right? This begins the story of how the Jewish community got to Egypt. They were not initially enslaved. They actually were brought there by Joseph. Say, so, hey, we can, we can set up camp here. I will save you guys. God is actually going to present us with a great opportunity here because we, God gave me some wisdom. We've been storing stuff up for the last seven years, so we're going to be able to make it through here. So why don't you come with everything you have? So his brother's kind of that's a little bit jumping ahead. His brothers get introduced back to him. Well, well actually, we remember we got um, Potiphar's wife, 
and he gets thrown back into prison, and all that kind of happens. And then now he's risen back up through the grace and mercy of God, and he gets introduced, reintroduced to his brothers, and this reconciliation happens, right? And so a lot of people, if you go through and do any kind of search and say, well, what does it look like? What are people preaching out of uh, Genesis 45 is, is, a, is a story of restoration and redemption and reconciliation. All that is there, absolutely. And it's a beautiful story uh, of God reconciling. And so we're not going to focus on that, but I don't, I don't want to move off of Genesis 45 without acknowledging that because that is there. Joseph, who had every right to hold it against his brothers, who had every right to say, now I'm in charge. Now I'm the one who can throw people in cisterns. Now I'm the one who can bring you into slavery. I don't even have to sell you into slavery. I can just bring you in. He, all that could have happened. But Joseph didn't get there. And so we're not going to focus on the reconciliation part as much, but the heart of what God had done in Joseph. Because let me just read here again, Genesis 45. Now that you know what's happened, so now he's in the presence of his brothers. This is actually the second time because the first time they came, he recognized them. He knew who they were. They did not recognize him. He sent them away, but he put something in their luggage. Remember? It's, it's like silver cup. And when they saw it, they're like, holy cow, this guy's going to think we stole it. They're going to come back and kill us. So they, they you know, rerouted themselves. They go back. They fall at the mercy of the court, so to speak. They said, we didn't do this. Joseph plays it up a little bit. And he can't contain it anymore. And this is where we pick up. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard him. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were terrified of his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Do you hear what Joseph is saying? What Joseph understands now. His brothers meant something for evil. And it probably wasn't good. And I can't imagine Joseph had this posture when he was sitting in that cistern or when he got brought out and sold into slavery or when he was in slavery or when he got accused by the leader's wife or when he raped her, right? Or when he was in prison or when any of this stuff happened. I can't imagine that Joseph, but it was a constant kind of happening as God revealed himself to be faithful because he could have been killed, right? He could have been killed, not even thrown in the cistern, and God saved him. He could have been thrown in the cistern and left there for dead, but he wasn't. He was sold into slavery. He could have just been a slave the whole rest of his life, but he wasn't. Because of God's grace and mercy, he was able to do these things, interpret these dreams in certain ways that actually helped him rise through the ranks twice. And now he's at the top and because of some of those dreams, he realizes there's about to be a famine. Like all this stuff, Joseph can look back and say, these are things that God is doing in my life and in my presence, and it's been for a purpose. Joseph would have never been leader of Egypt if his brothers hadn't wanted to kill him. Joseph can see that. 
That's the interesting thing. That's the thing that is most prevalent to me in this moment, in this time, and everything that we're dealing with now as a nation and really as a world. And truthfully, if we come back in just to the microcosm of the church, it seems to be in disarray. It seems to be kind of chaotic and crazy, right? It seems to be that the church is just getting pounded and it's just floating away. Like it's just going to end because one of the things that is happening because of this pandemic is it feels like there's these attacks on all kinds of sides, not just from one camp or the other, but just kind of everywhere. And so we, even if we bring it down there, it just seems like, God, why are you letting this happen to me? We really want to be, maybe you don't, but I do sometimes, like, like Job's friends, like what did we do wrong, right? What did we do to, to deserve this? Like what in the world's happening? And Joseph certainly could have had that, and maybe he did, but one thing he was able to do was continually see that it was God and God's mercy that was bringing him to every one of those things. Now, this uh, when, I was, when I was praying through it and looking at the lectionary readings this week and, and kind of praying through where God was leading the message this week, it's not a mystery that it was Genesis 45 because if you remember back two weeks ago and then last week, a lot of the messages had to do with Jesus leading people into the storms. Remember a couple weeks ago, we had the story where Jacob walked with a limp because he wrestled with God and God led him into that. So he had this injury that affected him for the rest of his life because of something that God did. But he counted it as good. Like he was, it was a badge of honor. It was, this was a moment where God gave me what I wanted, gave me what I was asking for, but I'm maimed for it for life, right? Then last week we talked about the, um, the, the disciples going out on the boat into the storm. Jesus sent them. He said, get on the boat and go. Get out of here. He sent the crowds away to their homes. He sent the disciples on the boat. He goes up to pray. He comes walking on the water in the middle of the storm. Who sent the disciples into the storm? Jesus. And Joseph can look on his life and see this exact same thing, that he was certainly in the middle of a storm. His whole family wanted to kill him. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. I didn't have a family like that. Some of you may have had a family where it just wasn't good. They didn't like you. You didn't like them. You kind of, you may not have hoped each other died, but it just wasn't like fantastic. I, I don't know, but I know that's not good. Okay, I know that when you're when every member of your family, with the exception of maybe one or two, once you're dead, that's not a good scene. This is Joseph's life, and he's got to live with this. Like what in the world? And then he's sold into slavery. I've never been a slave. I've never been forced to do, well, I mean, maybe when I was a child, my mom and dad like, made me do stuff, but I've never been forced as an adult to do things I didn't really, that I really didn't want to do. You know, there's, certainly there's laws that kind of limit things we can do, so sometimes I may want to go a little faster than 65 or 70 on the interstate, you know, but nothing, nobody's ever forced me into working and to doing things. And from all the accounts that we read from history, even the... Even the most modern U.S. 
the, inter, the, the, the Atlantic slave trade, you read that. And even today when there's more slaves worldwide than there were during the, internet, during the Atlantic slave trade days, there's more slaves worldwide. Some, I think it's estimated about 25 million. And if you read stories or hear stories about that, and a lot of the, a lot of the sexual slave and child slavery stuff is getting a lot of um, publicity now because of certain things in the news, and that is horrible, Right? But you can also go and you can subscribe to um, email lists or whatever. There's a group called the International Justice Mission. There's a couple others that deal specifically with how do we get people out of these conditions. How do we advocate for them and get them out? And you read their stories. It's not good. And this is where Joseph was. Like He's in the middle of this forced labor, this slave thing. He gets put in jail. I've never been in jail. Praise Jesus. I hope... I never have to. Doesn't seem good. I've been there uh, before to visit people. One of the first, uh, one of the f- the first job I ever had in a church was up in Kings Mountain, and there was a guy whose name I'm not going to say. I almost said it. I'm glad I stopped myself. But there was a guy who was in prison because he had made some mistakes in his youth, and now he's having to to deal with that. And he was in prison for 15 years. And I used to go visit him. What's his name again? You guys, like, just everybody yell out if I say a name so it doesn't make it on the podcast. But, but it's, uh, and I used to go and visit him. It didn't seem like a fun place. I'm just going to be honest with you. They all wanted him dead. And even the ones who didn't want him dead at least wanted him out of their lives. He found himself in forced labor, enslaved to another group of people who were not his. He found himself in prison. All of those are bad scenes by themselves, and yet this is Joseph's life. And it happened like that, because before that, he was the cherished son. And it happened like that. And yet Joseph can look at his brothers when they come in with compassion, with excitement of seeing his family again for the first time, with wanting to know if his dad's still alive, weeping over them and being able to acknowledge you guys thought you were doing this, but you weren't doing it. This was God's plan. God needed this to happen. Or maybe didn't need it. This is how God chose for it to happen because there's a famine and you guys are all about to die. The promised people through whom the Messiah is promised to come, they're going to be wiped out through a famine. And yet God saw the bad things you did and turned them, right? Reminds us of what? Romans 8. Is that Romans 8? Romans 8, 28, 38? 38? 28, thank you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, that in all things God works for for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. This was played out in Joseph's life. And Joseph understood this before, thousands of years before Paul ever wrote that. He understood that what all these people meant for bad, God turned around. Not only good for Joseph, but good for his entire family. Good for all the people who meant it for evil. When we can serve a God like that, man, it makes me excited of all the bad things I've done. That God can not only take those and make them good for other people, but he can take them and make them good for me. 
Joseph understood this, and this brought peace to Joseph's life. Because you never really see, in through all this, now we don't know his posture in every situation, but what we can read through Scripture, we never seem to see Joseph in a situation where he's outside of himself, angry with God, or questioning, or, or really racked with grief or anxiety. You kind of just see an even-keeled guy all the way through. Now, maybe that's just his personality. Maybe the writer was a little kinder to him than, uh, than what was reality in some such situations, but you never really see him rattled. It's kind of like the difference between Peter on the night that Jesus was crucified and Peter 50 days later, right? Like Peter didn't seem to have that anxiety that he had that night that Jesus was crucified. The night Jesus was crucified, like, he didn't know what to do. First, he's willing to pull out a sword and fight and go to town. Next thing you know, he's denying Jesus out of things to the point where he's cursing to prove I have nothing to do with this guy. He just didn't know which direction to go. Fifty days later, he's facing the Sanhedrin with this message of what God has done in his life. What happened? The Holy Spirit came in and changed him. He had this peace knowing that if Jesus can rise from the dead, and I saw him on the eyes, if Jesus can rise from the dead, what in the world do I have to fear? So he didn't have it anymore. Joseph is living with the same thing. If my brothers wanted to kill me, but God saved me from being killed, and I was just enslaved, and even through slavery I was able to rise up, and then I was put in prison, and even through prison I was able to rise up, and God had all this. What in the world? Joseph had this unbelievable trust in who God was and what God was doing. We as the people of God, I don't know everybody's story in here, but I know enough to know that a lot of us in this room have been believers for a number of years. And if we have the benefit of being believers of this word, of this book, and of who it speaks of, and of the power of the cross that it talks about, and the salvation it offers for us, and the peace that it gives us, then what in the world do we have to be scared of? What in the world do we have to have anxiety over? That was the realization that Joseph came to, because Joseph realized even if something bad happens, like God's going to use it. We don't read the story of the disciples and put at the end of their earthly lives, and they lived happily ever after. They lived in eternity happily ever after, but on earth it was... It was more turmoil than they had the three years there with Jesus, for sure. Like those were the good, those were the good old days, right? After Jesus left, it was constant battle, battle with the Sanhedrin, the people that they were part of, right? The other Jewish people, they didn't, they didn't like them. Then they're, then they're being chased around, and, and there's this diaspora where people are actually going after the Christians, and so it helps spread the gospel. But it's not, and then they eventually each one of them die. For the king, for the cause of Christ, right? Eventually, each one of them were martyred. That's not a fun thing. <laughs> the, the the rumor has it that even Peter was crucified when he died, and he, in, in, uh, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't. This is kind of tradition. I don't know that we really have any certain account outside this that makes it any more fact. But the story in there, the tradition in there, says that Peter didn't want to be die like Jesus because he didn't think he was worthy, so he has to be crucified upside down. Well, it was upside down and right side up. It doesn't sound like a fun time. But yeah, this was, and Peter didn't care. 
Peter had gotten to this point, like Joseph realized that God is in control of it all, and there's nothing that anybody is going to be able to do to me here that's going to be, it's even going to matter. And that God can use it. We see that, like what, through, through Paul's life. Paul, the one who wrote that, all things work together. For good of those who are called according to his will. Like I think I mixed, I think I just did a mashup of two, two scriptures, but you get the point. Um, Peter had re- Paul had realized this. Paul, the guy who was crucifying, I mean, who was persecuting the Christians, realized there's nothing that they can do because I know what they're going to do because that was me doing it. That compares to what I'm going to gain. In fact, Paul even wrote that. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. And so here we are, 2020, the church. We find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic We haven't seen this on earth in 100 years. Some of us are forced into our homes. Some churches, some Christian communities across the globe aren't even allowed to do what we're doing, like some of us are doing here in this room. There seems to be chaos everywhere. On top of all that, it's an election year. Where friends and families seem to hate each other. It seems like every guy's lost control of it all, just spinning out of control. And the problem I have with that is not that I believe that has happened at all, but from some believers, I see that sentiment. And let me tell you this. This is the great opportunity that we have as a church. It's an opportunity to share peace in the midst of chaos. God, in Matthew 6, Twenty-five. Therefore, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or your body. What you wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more valuable? How much uh, are, you, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, at a single hour of your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was not clothed like one of these or dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans go after all those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. And that's the easy part, right? We all want God's kingdom. Seeking first God's kingdom, that's the good stuff, right? Here's the hard part. The next thing he says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That, that really is where we, the rub comes in. Seeking it there, but seeking it, driving that, desiring that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We're not ever going to be without trouble, but as a church, especially in this moment, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of unbelievable division, we get to bring peace. 
We get to bring a story of reconciliation. We don't have to play up to the division thing. In fact, I would encourage you to pray and seek Christ to help change your heart if you are helping aid some of that division. Because God gives the church an opportunity to display the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of unity. It's a kingdom of love. And we get to display that. Church, we have a fantastic opportunity to be able to see all that God has done in our lives, even when it hasn't gone well. To say, to be able to have the boldness and to have the wisdom and to have the trust like Joseph did to say, you didn't send me here. God sent me here. You didn't do this to me. God did this and it was for a reason. When that is our posture, we can very easily have peace and we can display peace. We can very easily have reconciliation in our hearts and we can seek reconciliation because when we can realize that what someone did that's against us that we're mad about wasn't actually them, it was a sin in them doing something and God's going to use it for good, we don't have to, we can have compassion on them like Joseph had his brothers. We have an unbelievable opportunity as a church to be able to display all these things in a world that needs it so desperately. That's the message that people need to hear. So there is a God of peace and he'll soon destroy all wickedness right under his foot. Right? Just like it says in Romans 16 that God is going to conquer all that. And we get to bring that peace and we get to bring reconciliation where there is division and we get to bring love where there is hate. That is who God is. And that is what we get to display. So this morning, church, wherever you find yourself on that spectrum of worry, <laughs> of the chaos, of the division, wherever it is, know that God is working all things together. We don't have to fear it. We can embrace it and we can trust. And when we trust God, then we can have peace. And when we have that peace, then we can display that peace. And then when we display it, there's always somebody going to be it's like, how in the world can you be calm in the midst of this chaos? Well, let me tell you. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about always being prepared to describe, to display, to share the hope that, and what he's done for me. And that's a witness, that is an apologetic that people need to hear. Let's pray. God, all that you've given us and all that you've blessed us with, all that you've shared with us. God, we know that you've prepared us for all that we encounter. That none of this is out of your control and you're not surprised. And so, God, we're thankful. Because if you're not surprised, we can just trust and we can hope things will be better, but trust that even when they're not, that the creator is in control. So God, I pray that you would give us, that you would give peace to our hearts. God, where people try to sow discord and disunity, even if we, in our hearts, because of the way we were raised or whatever, just disagree 
God, would you allow us to understand that none of that matters, that what matters is your kingdom, that peace and unity is worth more than being right? Because ultimately, you are the most right, and that's in you're not going to lose. And so we can just rest in that knowing that all we have to do is be faithful to you, that we can just trust you and lean on you, that you will make all things right one day. And until that day, God, may we be obedient servants of you. May we display your kingdom of peace and love and unity. May we display your kingdom of righteousness. God, give us hearts that want to seek after your righteousness, not just your kingdom, but the righteousness that comes with it. May that be what we seek. God, we love you. God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and move us through your Holy Spirit. listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.